what is up kangaroo chasers and if you've been listening recently you will know we've been diving deep into the north american rugby league we've had eddie pettiborn from the brooklyn kings uh, we've had monty gaddis from cleveland rugby league we're gonna have gareth reed from the ottawa aces we're gonna have mark offadol from the new york freedom side that's the new name the new york freedom who've just announced big t-rex tony williams as a major sponsor and we're going to have uh, Jamil Robinson uh, from the West Coast Conference as well. But I can't hide the fact that I've been most excited about the conversation that I'm having this morning or tonight, his time. Uh, he's the COO of the North American Rugby League, Rob Curtis. And uh, we've an- we're going to answer all of your questions. So let's get straight to it. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 112 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Big Rob Curtis from the other side of the, side of the world. <laughs> Welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, mate. Thank you, Michael. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Mate, I'm fine. Good evening to you. How's your day been? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's been a, a beautiful day. It's, it was bright and sunny. And uh, now that we're inside of eight weeks from kick, everything is moving at, at uh, lightning speeds. So, you know, even though it was a beautiful day out, it, you know, it's been a, a busy, productive day that I think has worked out well all the way around. So I'm, I'm finishing off on a really good note with this conversation. Sounds good, man. Well, I've been looking forward to it for a while. I know our listeners have as well. So we've got, often we have Q&A question, uh, interviews like this where we get our listeners to ask, you know, what they want to know, especially for something like this, this NARL. It's very exciting to a lot of us. There's also been a few detractors as well, and we wanted to give them an opportunity to ask some questions and clear the air and find out as much as we can. And mate, we got hundreds of questions on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, through the DMs, uh, even the the Reddit, the NARL Reddit page. I'm not sure if you were aware that there was one, but we got questions there as well. So what I tried to do (laughs) was um, sort of consolidate the questions and try and get the the core theme from all of them, because there's a lot of similarities as well. You know, a lot of people want to know the same kind of things. And we've got that here today and, and we'll get your honest answers on all of them. But I think importantly, where I want to start is, so Rob Curtis in, in the rugby league world would be a name that many don't recognize or have only just heard or read about. So, mate, I want to know who Rob Curtis is. Who are you and, and what's your background? How did you how did you find yourself in the role as COO of the NARL? Fantastic. So you're right. Um, the only people that would know the Rob Curtis name are, are currently the team owners in the NARL. Um, very candidly, uh, my, my journey into rugby league has been, uh, a, a kind of circuitous one. Um, I was a police officer for 25 years, uh, in, in New Jersey. And, uh, during the course of that time was very heavily involved in the operations aspects of, of, um, training and, and, uh, the, the station and outreach programs and stuff like that. Um, but concurrently for the last 15 years, I've been working uh, very heavily in the professional sports industry here in the U.S. Um, I've owned my own event production company and have worked for a number of professional sports teams, uh, not only in the NFL and Major League Soccer, but I've worked as an executive producer in those events and operations also at MetLife Stadium. So um, my operations background is, is very extensive. My operations background with rugby is a a blossoming flower that's just coming uh, into fruition. So I love it. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a long route. Um, uh, the CEO of of the NARL, uh, Ricky Wilby, and I met probably four or five years ago when I was when I was uh, running events and conferences uh, for a major league soccer team here in New Jersey. So yep. um, it's 
it's it's it's it's been a, a unique approach, but I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm glad you mentioned the name Ricky Wilby because a lot of people are sort of asking where you know who is behind this NARL, and we can say here now that you know Ricky Wilby, who was uh, very heavily behind the New York City Rugby League push into Super League, he's obviously a man who's very heavily involved here. Um, and I've got to say, man, if I was uh, you, if, if you were a policeman in in Jersey, I, I wouldn't want to be committing any crimes. I've seen videos of you working out. You're a, you're a beast, mate. I wouldn't want to. I would have been. Yeah, no crimes committed in that time for sure. But um, mate, so so tell us, I guess, where did the concept of the NARL come from, and where did the conversation begin? Because obviously, to a lot of our listeners and supporters, it, it came out of the blue and out of nowhere. But obviously, something like this does take a lot of conversation and a lot of preparation. So take us through it. Sure, I, I I would love to say that we were smart enough to have it just come out of the blue and it, it just uh, it just developed and and came to to fruition quickly. But that that would be a lie. It's really four or five years ago. You know, Ricky and I began working on the New York project together. Yeah, um, we did a, a ton of market research and and demographic analysis. And, uh, you know, about two years ago, we were put into contact with uh, the, our now existing private investor group and board. And we found out that we shared their visions and, and they ours that, you know, a, a team would be great uh, to have here in the New York market, but a league would be better. Um, so we kind of shared the same vision and, and so began the process. So it really, it really started to kick into high gear, I would say, about two years ago. Yeah, beautiful. So I guess the the demise or, or not demise because they're back but the toronto wolfpack being kicked out of the super league would have had a lot to do with these conversations sort of moving a little bit faster than they may have previously that's that's certainly uh that certainly lit a fire under the conversations um you know it was it was it was definitely a motivating factor we we realized that those expansion teams uh the that the offers would not come the way we would like them to and and uh obviously with covid you know being another another deterrent uh we realized that that it was probably we were probably better served uh looking to expand the this tremendous sport here domestically than to participate uh you know uh transatlantically so it, it just worked out as a better option for us beautiful so can you you've sort of touched on it but can you confirm here today that you know the the board the investors the ownership structure behind the NARL are the same people that were behind the New York rugby league push into super league originally Okay, so um, they they are. It, it is a portion of that. Yep. Um, it is not the entirety of that. Um, we have a group of of private investors who have a deep commitment and love for the sport, um, who saw an opportunity to 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 kind of pursue that. Yep. Um, they are very, you know, they're very specific in how they want to see it develop and what they want to do, and and. Uh, they're, I think that they've they've taken on a really uh, a tremendous task in trying to accomplish something that is really monumental. Yeah. Um, but they're doing it on a personal level, which to me is uh, speaks volumes to their character. I love that. I love that. And we'll ask more questions about that later. Obviously, a lot of people want to know who some of the the investors are, and obviously, some of that is personal and private information, so you won't be able to shed too much of it. But we want to, we'll, we'll ask more questions later on anyway, but mate, um, the big question that I guess we had from the biggest question we had from our listenership is obviously the relationship between the USARL. Um, and you know, it's, you're probably getting that question all the time. Uh, they're obviously the, um, they're obviously the governing body of the sport over there. And I guess what people want to know is, you know, were there any discussions around working together beforehand? Did they know about you guys coming on and are, are there any discussions happening now? So take us, walk us through that. All right. So uh, aside from the question of who is Rob Curtis and, and why is he here? Uh, the second most asked question is of course, what's the relationship with the USARL? <laughs> yeah. Um, so first off and, and very candidly, the USAR, our USARL has done an incredible job of building rugby league in the U S they're a fantastic organization. Um, they've been dedicated to growing the sport in America. And, and personally, and, and we as a group, we have tremendous respect for everybody involved in that organization and their corporate structure. Um, we really don't see ourselves as a rival league to them. Uh, if, if I'm being straight about it, we see ourselves as a healthy competition, if you could put those two words in quotes. Um, you know, any, anytime somebody has a competitor, it helps drive them to be their very best. And and that's kind of how we see ourselves 
in relationship to the USARL. We want to strive to be the best. And if, if that means if we want to succeed, we have to hopefully outperform or perform at a higher level and push ourselves to, to beat our competition. Um, we've taken on a very big task of, of, of trying to um, compete against the USARL, you know, um, but I, I think we can, we can kind of step up to that and it's really going to motivate us to do our very best in, in, in the development and the growth and the expansion of this, of this sport. Um, we did reach out to them in the beginning. Unfortunately, we received no response back, yep. uh, which, which happens of course. Uh, but our, our focus is really on growing and improving rugby in North America, you know, rugby league in North America and, and moving forward. As an organization, we'll work with anybody and any other organization who shares that same vision. So we're we're very open, um, very amenable to it. But we, you know, candidly, we we are excited to have a little bit of competition. There's there's been Ali and Frazier, and there's Coke and Pepsi, and <laughs> and we, we we like this approach. You know, excellent. I like that answer. That's that's interesting, and it's good to hear you reached out. And are there, are there any discussions at the moment at all on working together? I've heard a couple of things that some early discussions are there, and everyone wants to sort of collaborate. But can you shed any light on that at all at this stage? Uh, candidly, I wish I, I wish I had more information on it. Yep. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's happening on a, a slightly higher level than, than what I, I do on a day-to-day basis. Yep. But, you know, we've, we've been approached, we, we haven't, I don't know that there's been a, a communication back and forth yet in an, in an endeavor to, to do that, but it certainly is open and it certainly is welcome. So we're, we're hoping that that would happen in the future. Um, if it does, that's, that's great. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll do our very best to represent ourselves in a professional and, and, uh, and, and, and good manner moving forward, you know? Beautiful. Look, let's talk about some of the clubs. So the big one is obviously, um, for, for long time international rugby league fans, the biggest one is the Reba for the Toronto Wolfpack. Can you talk to us about that? Um, basically, at the moment, we're all in the dark as to who owns the club. How was it reborn? How is this brand back? Are you able to shed any light on, you know, on the happenings there and how how this how how the Toronto Wolfpack brand was able to be a part of this NARL competition? Sure, you know, I I don't know how in depth or how much more knowledge I would have uh, of that process than you would, but but absolutely, you know, the, the Toronto Wolfpack had tremendous success in building an amazing following you know, in, in, in Toronto, in just six years, they had created a rugby culture in that town that was standing on the shoulders of, of fanatical and dedicated <laughs> fan base, like none other. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had the very good fortune to attend a few games at, at Lamport stadium and the energy there was incredible. It was palpable. It was, it was, uh, almost, I would say if you, if you went size comparison, the energy in that stadium was equivalent to the energy of a, a MetLife stadium with 80,000 fans in it. Well, wow. again, size respective, yep. but it, it really was, you know, unfortunately for those fans, uh, the Wolfpack ran into some problems, but recently, uh, they were purchased by uh, a private group of investors. Again, a private group of investors, not the same investors, but who are dedicated to keeping the Wolfpack, you know, rugby alive in Toronto. Um, they want to, I think, take a backseat and deliver a good foundation uh, to those fans and, you know, a pathway uh, forward with the NARL. They, they approached us and they said, look, we, we like what you're doing. We like what we see. Um, you know, with the Wolfpack joining the NARL, it gives the fans back a team that they love and that they can follow easily in North America. There's no plans for any transatlantic play from what I've heard, uh, but it it keeps that fan base, that tremendous, uh, healthy, enthusiastic, uh, crazy, maniacal fan base. It keeps them involved and it keeps them keeps them engaged with their team. And I, I don't think that anything better could have happened for us as the NARL in North America. It just it really it really worked out well for us and for them. I'd like to believe it's great to see them back because. Whatever the history was, and whoever the new administration is now, obviously it's not the old guys. But that brand is important. That brand means a lot to our sport as as expansionists and seeing the game over there. Like it, it's it's just been it's the brand is fantastic, and it's good to see it live on. Sticking on the Canada theme, so we've talked about you know some potential headaches between the USARL, and I'll say that you didn't say that I did, but uh, the, can, the the can, <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> the Canada Rugby League have been much more receptive and positive about your competition. 
Um, can you describe the relationship with those guys and how that's progressing? Absolutely. So look, the relationship started as we began our search into Canada. Uh, we reached out to the CRL and expressed our interest. Uh, Bob Jowett, the president there, has been fantastic, just extremely supportive. He's, he's a wonderful man. Uh, he's been great to work with from the very beginning. He's been a supporter and is, is truly the, the consummate professional that you would look for and that, that you would hope to be associated with. Um, we feel blessed to have them as an ally. They've been a, a, a great to work with. And uh, we'd like to think that that we're going to be working together on a number of mutually beneficial strategies, you know, moving forward, including, but, you know, we're not going to limit to the de development of a youth involvement program via, uh, via tag rugby, um, potentially youth involvement leagues of tag rugby. Even more excitingly in, in my mind, which I'm really fired up about, is the potential development of a professional women's rugby league Um which we would like to see kind of run parallel to what we're doing um, or, or as for lack of better terms, a, a sister, sister clubs to the clubs that we have in place. Now, you know, we, we strongly subscribe to Bill's philosophy of building bridges between organizations. And we, uh, we really look forward to a long, uh, happy, healthy relationship with the CRL. I love that man. And just hearing about, I, I think having a parallel women's league and sister clubs makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talent, potential talented rugby and rugby league players over there. Females, uh, the USA. Can, can you can you imagine the the fan engagement if we're able to put that together? Just just be, I mean I mean the fans that come out to watch men's rugby, awesome. The fans that will come out to watch men and women's rugby on the same day, spectacular. It really exactly. it really would be. It really would be incredible. And as a comparable, like I look at the success of soccer over there at the moment in the MLS and the MLS doesn't become as popular as it does without two or three things. And they are World Cups being played in, in the US, uh, the women's team being so strong and a few key signings like your, your, uh, your David Beckham. So you guys can kind of mirror that a little bit. If we can get a World Cup over there, if we can get a strong women's team over there and if we can get a few key signings like... Tony Williams, who will be playing for the uh, the the New York Freedom, then things are yep. looking good, and you can sort of mirror that success. I can I can see that happening. So that's awesome. And from 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 your lips to God's ears, we we uh, <laughs> we really hope so. It, it's we're we're again so that we're we're it's it's funny. Nobody's sleeping. We're um you know everybody's waking up in the middle of the night, and they've got ideas, and they've got concepts, and they've got they're enthusiastic and they're fired up and there's a, a, a ton of emails that's being exchanged at three in the morning between continents. It's, it's really, it's really been a, a, a fun trip so far, you know? So tell me, tell me a little more about some of the clubs. So let's start with um, the East coast. Cause we'll get, we've got some more specific questions on the West coast conference, but in the East coast, you've got some good, good clubs with some great histories, history there. So, you know, you've got your, your Brooklyn Kings and, You've got your uh, Atlanta Rhinos and, and you've got your Boston 13s and you've got some New York clubs. New York Freedom is kind of new and um, it's, but I guess I want to know, I suppose, or the listeners want to know, what was the criteria for some of these clubs? What was the early dialogue? And also as a side question to that, you know, were you in discussions with some of the other clubs, like some of the other famous clubs, like the Jackson Jacksonville Axemen or the Philadelphia fight? Were they approached or considered in the lead up? Yes. Yes, of course. So it, let, let, everything, everybody was considered. Um, so let, let's, let's be very, you know, very straightforward with that. Um, for the teams, we spent a, a lot of time seeking out team owners uh, and potential team owners, to, you know, other, other people that didn't own a team prior, but were looking to, to be involved. We, we spent a lot of time looking for those people who shared that a common vision uh, with us and, and in our league philosophy, the philosophy of, of starting at a grassroots level and, and growing things and making it organic and, and trying, you know, something new and, and, and unique. Um, these teams were subsequently chosen based upon this relationship. Um, you know, very simply of, of, of four or five conversations and, and, and meetings that that led us to believe that in a gross, in addition to our growth and marketing plan and and geographic locations for our where we wanted our teams to be, that these people kind of shared the same thought process as us. And uh, some teams were invited to join them, um, some were not. 
Um, and then some other teams actually chose to pass on, on the invitation to us. Yeah. Um, who those teams are is, is not, it's not necessary, you know, to, to say who was and wasn't invited and who passed, but everybody was, was strongly considered. Um, we kind of like where we, where we sit right now, but moving forward, everybody is, is still considered. We really want to find those smart relationships that work not only for us, but for those team owners. Beautiful. So you could see a Jacksonville or something like that happening later on down the track as you expand. That's good to know. Um, if, if that's if that's if that's what they wanted, it's it would always be an option. We 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 look to work with everybody to make this this program succeed. Beautiful. Now let's go one final question about the USARL relationship before we do move on. And um, so let's let's say hypothetically the recognized governing body bans selections for their Hawks, USA Hawks side, um, for players who play in outside competitions. Okay. How, let, talk me through um, that. What would you guys do there and, and what's your feeling around all of that? Michael, Michael, what's the smart answer? There, um, there really isn't, I don't have a really bright or really intelligent answer yep. for you. Yep. I think that because if, if this were to happen, it would be a tragedy for us rugby league fans and players. Yeah. You know, we, we would like to believe that, that a, a number of our players in the NARL would be more than qualified to represent the United States in the red, white, and blue. It, and, and even from what I've heard that even Canadian players wouldn't be eligible to represent Canada in, in, in those world cup settings if they were to play in the NARL excluding players from what should be an all-star team because they play in another league is detrimental to the sport and it punishes your own team. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we can only work with what's under our umbrella. Uh, what the other organizations do is obviously their prerogative, but is truly my hope that our players would not be banned from international play. Correct. I, that it, I, I don't know how to stress it more. It, it's not, I don't think we're we would be the ones that would be would be punished. I mean, the the team itself would lose out by missing out on some really tremendous talent. Well, so no, I get what you mean. I guess most of the incumbent Hawks players are in the NARL now, so their 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 standard would drop immensely. And this is a side that missed out on a World Cup recently, so they want to build. You know, they want to build up, not sort of start again. Right, which again leads me back to if if our players are are banned, it it's a it really is a tragedy for for the fans and the players alike. You know, I agree with you. Let's talk about the West Coast Conference a little bit because it works a little bit differently. So, where whereas on the East Coast we've got existing clubs for the most part and and individual ownership and things like that, the West Coast is very different because it's kind of a new frontier in a lot of areas. Like you've got your Austin Armadillos and you've got your Las Vegas side. And, and these are areas that don't traditionally have, they, they may have strong rugby scenes, rugby union, but rugby league is sort of new to them. Um, and I've been speaking to one of the guys from the Austin Rugby podcast recently, and he's excited about rugby league and has only just found out about it. So it's it's very cool to see both sports sort of collaborating together a little bit and getting excited. Um, but I want to know how the Western Conference works. I'm hearing that it's more of a centralized ownership structure. Uh, can you explain to the listeners, you know, how the Western Conference differs to the Eastern Conference in that respect? Of course. All right. So on the East, on the in the Eastern Conference, we have uh, six U.S. individual ownerships and two Canadian individual ownerships. But the Western Conference is not actually. It, not entirely a centralized ownership. It's more of a centralized operations. Yep. And what we mean is currently the Western division is centralized, has, has centralized all of its operations basically due to COVID. So instead of having our team spread throughout the Western United States, uh, when we're in a position, we're not even sure if we can have spectators this season, uh, the, an organization of the owners out there have brought all the teams together to Las Vegas where they will all live and train in fairly close proximity and they'll play all of their games in Vegas every week. So, you know, next season, barring any COVID issues, those teams will move to their respective cities uh, this year to help those teams develop and to establish their foundations. The team owners are acting as a consortium 
and are cooperating and coordinating efforts to assist all of the teams in their first year to help aid them in being successful. Yeah, well, it sounds smart, especially given COVID. It it probably would have been smart even if COVID wasn't a thing. You've got to crawl before you can walk, I suppose. How do you... Certainly. Yeah. Certainly when you're going into battle, you want to gather all your troops around you. You know what I mean? So this this is really a, a, a strategic move for, for those owners to bring everybody together. Um, they're, they're all working in one area. Uh, they're, they're, they're playing the same game or playing games in the same stadium each week. So it really just, it seemed to be the right move to put this group together uh, for them. That's, that's kind of what they were asking for. So there are individual owners of these clubs? As of now, there are individual owners within that consortium. Gotcha. Um, it, but that the 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 uh, for each of the six teams uh, right now, uh, there are not six individual ownerships, but there are a number of ownerships in that group right now. Um, and those teams that that don't have an individual owner uh, this year will next year when they move out into their respective cities. And so, how does that evolve? Are there already owners, potential owners, in place for when they move out, or are, are you looking for new ownership? for some of the clubs. No, no, you, you know, we've been, we've been very, uh, very lucky in so much that since we announced the league, we've, we've been contacted by, by no less than 13 cities uh, throughout the USA and Canada expressing interest in joining and wow. how can they become a part of it? And uh, we have, we have uh, a deck put together obviously for, for potential expansion teams coming in, but uh, you know, these wouldn't be expansion teams. These would be originals that, that people would come in to, to buy. Yeah. Yeah. And to be a part of the league, so it, it would be it would be good for for everybody. It's it you know we're we're really excited about how that's going to evolve. That's awesome, um, and I'll touch on expansion a little bit later as well because I think it's there's some exciting opportunities. Um, what a few of the listeners pointed out to me, which I didn't know, was San Francisco Rush. There's a rugby club with that name. Uh, there are Austin Armadillos. There's a lacrosse team with that name, I believe. Is this a coincidence, or you know, are these are these sporting franchises involved now in rugby league? No, no, no. These are, these are, unfortunately there are some similarities and it's, it's just coincidence. Yep. Uh, you know, currently in the United States, I believe when last we checked, there's more than 3000 sports teams that have registered names and logos. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's, that's spread across 17 professional and semi-professional sports leagues and more than 100 amateur leagues. So some names are going to be similar, um, but they, they oftentimes are a different sport and a different location. And some old names will get end up getting used again. Um, the, the San Francisco Rush, uh, from from what I've, I've, I've been told, was a, a, a team that actually, I think, stopped play in 2016. So... Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there will be some similarities. It is just coincidence, um, and, and we hope that it doesn't it doesn't put a negative taste in anybody's mouth. You know, I guess as well in the case of like Austin armadillos, the armadillo is the official animal of of Austin. So you're going to get probably a few armadillos in that region, uh, I suppose. <laughs> It's it's going to happen. Unfortunately, I can't imagine how many Cougars, Tigers, and Lions teams are on up there. You know. Well, we love it. Uh, my my co-host Big T and I. We want more Tigers and Dragons teams. So just a little little. We're, we're I'm a St George Dragons fan in the NRL. He's a West Tigers fan in the NRL. So we want to see more Dragons and Tigers if you can when you're thinking about expanding, mate. Just a little tip. Considered to be the first two I push. <laughs> I love it. I love it, <laughs> mate. Um, we talked about the relationship with the USARL and. And when we're, when we're on the West Coast, it's important that we talk about California Rugby League as well, because although they're not at, in an official capacity, you know, as a governing body like the USARL are, um, they do have probably more clubs than the USARL do now in the California Rugby League. Um, we've also right. seen, you know, leagues, leagues sort of starting up in terms of development in Utah, and there's, there's you know, other places as well. Um, but the Cali's are the big one. Um, I guess I want to know, you know, same sort of question as USARL, were California Rugby League engaged? Uh, were they considered? Sure. And is there any consideration in future to work with them? Yeah, no, as I, yeah, absolutely. And as I had mentioned earlier, we, we, we went out and we searched for organizations and, and ownership groups uh, that we thought would be a good, a, a good fit for us and would work well with us. Uh, some of those groups signed on. Some others were not a good fit for either us or more importantly for them. 
Um, you know, the California Rugby League is doing a, a tremendous job out there. Um, the, the teams in the NARL right now are our prime targets uh, and markets at this time. Uh, so I, I don't know that there would be an expansion out that way any more than there is currently. Um, we're more than happy with how we currently sit as a competition. Uh, the CRL is doing a great job developing rugby league on the West Coast. Um, so I don't know that we would we would expand in that direction too much because, as you said, it, it, they really are running a, a, a fantastic uh, program out there and a league. So I will say that Utah is very much on our radar and is absolutely somewhere we'd, we'd like to be in the future. Yep. Um, but, you know, we, we, we reached out to some people and it, it worked for some and it didn't for others. So we're, we're pretty happy with where we sit now. Okay. Okay, good, good. Um, let's talk. We get a lot of. We've gotten a lot of questions about the competition itself, and in particular about development. And in rugby league, I'm not sure if you hear this term in other sports, Rob, but grassroots development is something we talk about a lot. Getting juniors involved and things like that. And I understand that grassroots development was one of the the key sort of entry points for for joining your league. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you plan to assist clubs on achieving? the goal of, of junior development in particular. Uh, you know what, Michael, see now here's where somebody says, I know Rob Curtis, because this is, this <laughs> kind of falls into my wheelhouse. Yeah, I love it. This kind of falls in, in, into the Rob Curtis history and wheelhouse a little bit. The NARL is, is dedicated to the growth of rugby league in North America. And, and by doing so, we plan to have each team employ a development officer as part of their community outreach program. So each of those teams, we, we expect to be out in the community, working with, with kids, working with juniors, building programs, uh, building organizations, uh, building up the knowledge of rugby league, you know, through, through boys and girls programs. Um, part of our five-year plan is to have substantial growth in rugby league for youth and, and potentially get leagues put in place in each of our demographic cities. So, you know, my previous experience with the police department is during that time for more than 20 years, I ran two of the largest uh, summer programs, summer youth programs in the country uh, that were police based. So, you know, my experience is going to assist in building these youth programs, these camps, and eventually these leagues. Um, but we want to see these teams out there high-fiving kids and spending time with them and affording these children the opportunity to eventually move up through going to going to college and play. And then we, you know, I, I want these kids saying, Hey, look, I want to, I want to play professional rugby when I get out of college. You know, that's, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something extraordinary? You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's a great goal and it's really important. I mean, especially um, if you look at the club history of uh, the history of clubs in the U S in particular, you see a lot, we've seen a lot of like, I'll get like the Washington DC Slayers are a great example. And I'm not sure how much you know about their history, Rob, but they um they sort of were there for a few years. They had a core group of players, and once those core group of players were too old and moved on, there was the club disappeared. Um, we saw the same thing with the New York Knights over there, another club that you know they had a core group of players. They had a good little history and a good little period of time where they played rugby league. But once those core guys got too old to to continue playing at at a competitive level, the club disappeared. And you know that doesn't happen if you've got good junior development and a good school system and players coming through a system and wanting to play professional rugby league. So I think it's really important. I, I think something that, that lends itself very well to what we're going to try and do is we, we want to, um, you know, uh, mimic and, and, and follow the, the pattern that major league soccer has taken here in the U S with their development programs. I mean, you know, just the, I, you know, I, I had mentioned, I worked with a, a team out of New York. I worked with uh, the New York Red Bulls and oh, wow. their, their youth development program is maybe the best in the entire nation, probably the best in the entire world. They have more than 40,000 kids involved in their youth programs, oh, wow. their youth development. So, you know, we, we really are going to try and follow a model that's similar to that where where we get our players who are engaged and who are who are smart and intelligent and 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 fun to be around and get them out there and have them 
you know, develop with these kids and, and help build these programs where the kids are not only excited to see the player, but excited to play the game. So we're, we're excited about it. It sounds like you've, you've got the runs on the board. You know, you're the man for the job there. I'm excited about that. And it must be good to have guys like Monty Gaddis at Cleveland Rugby League, who's genuinely excited about getting out to schools and, and showing kids what rugby league is and teaching them about that. Is there a more pleasant man out there? He's just, he's a great guy. It, I mean, it, it, every time I end up talking to him, my day is just a little bit brighter. He's, he's just, I, 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 I would love to take some of his enthusiasm and bottle it and just hold on to it for days that I'm feeling down because he's, he's fired up. He's great. He's great, man. We had him on the pod uh, last week or the week before and uh, the feedback was phenomenal. Everyone's like, oh, I love this guy. We need more of him, you know. So let's yeah, bottle it and sell it because it'll be very valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, um, let's talk about, so obviously, you know, when you've got a, a league, you need players, you need fans, but there's a whole lot in the background as well. You need things like match officials. Um, where are the match officials and things like that coming from? Great. So this year... Um, our existing officials are going to be U.S. based. Yep. Um, they'll oversee year one. Um, our our objective is to put a view to put in match official programs to bring in referees from overseas to train these U.S. based referees. Uh, so we're in the process actually of hiring a director of match officials oh, wow. uh, within the, within the next seven to ten days, I believe. So um, our objective is it, one of the things that absolutely can kill a sport is is questionable or maybe not experienced uh, referees, right? So we don't want that to be a deterrent to the product we're trying to put out. So we're going to make every effort and, and use every, um, every means uh, possible to make sure that these guys are all very well versed and very well ex- experienced and very well established in the rugby league rules and, and the match officiating. So we're, right. we're pretty excited about it. Awesome, man. Speaking of the rules then, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the intricacies of rugby league around the world, but there are some slight differences in rulings between the NRL, the Super League, International sure. Rugby League. What what sort of rule system will you guys have in place or have you changed anything on your end? How's it, how's it looking over there? Well, very, very straightforward. I've, I've had about 17 or 18 Red Bulls over the course of the last three weeks and <laughs> have stayed up late reading my rules and my regs. So um, just so I was I was mildly versed in what I had to, to speak about. Yeah, we're actually going to be we're actually going to play to the international rules right. with a few minor exceptions. Um, we plan on actually releasing our league rules um in the next probably two weeks, uh, which will articulate those those minor exceptions, but it's going to be based fairly much off the international rules. Is is kind of what we're basing the, the the focus of this league on. So, any of those minor interpretations you can share with us here, just to give our listeners a sneak peek. If I wanted to get in trouble, I could absolutely <laughs> share a couple of those. <laughs> but I'm, I, I will. I'll plead the fifth on this one. I don't. I'm, do I look? You know, you've seen my picture. Do I look like the kind of guy that's going to incriminate himself? Absolutely not. Oh, I'm not so, going to mess with you, mate. But you I'm, can't blame a guy for trying. I've got to ask the questions, right? No, no, I get that. But I'm. I'm <laughs> going to. I'm going to. I'm going to respectfully bow out of that one and say it. It wouldn't be from. It wouldn't be right for me to release any of those right now. I, I would be overstepping my bounds. We'll, we'll patiently wait, mate, and we'll release it on our social media channels as well once we hear Thank about you. it. Mate, um, thanks, for let, thanks for letting me off the hook on that one. I do appreciate it. <laughs> Let's talk about finance and partners and things like that. So we've already touched on the board, the investors and the ownership structure. Um, and we know that it's that there's some private rugby league fans, investors involved, and it's exciting. And, you know, like I said, a lot of people want to know names, who they are. And I understand that privacy is, is a thing and we respect that. Um, but what's more important for me is um, we want to know, I guess, are they committed? Is the money committed for the long term? And what are the plans for sustainable growth with that? Yeah, absolutely. So here we go. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the ownership structure because I I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to avoid the question by by any means. A group of investors who love rugby league saw an opportunity to bring a new approach to rugby league here in the u.s right um they've been able to provide private funding which is derived from their business model along with commercial partners um which 
luckily we're going to be announcing over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but they, they, they were able to put it all together basically out of the passion of their own heart. You know what I mean? They, 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 they risked personally, you know, they're not, they're not going out and they're not securing funds from, from other locations at first and gambling with somebody else's money. They put up their own money to, to make this happen. And then they'll bring in other, other funding opportunities as things develop. But this, this was truly a, an act of passion and an act of love towards the sport. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I appreciate the fans wanting to know who they are, but it's kind of like asking Colonel Sanders for his recipe. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's we, we have a recipe. We think it's magical uh, and we're going to hold it pretty close to our chest because for right now and for those people who have done this, it's, it's important to their success and to their own peace of mind. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. Completely understandable. So, you know, are they in? Yes, they're in. Are, are we in as the league? Yes, we're in. We're, we are collectively in this for the long-term growth of rugby league. Uh, we hope to create a legacy that's, that's going to be successful and, and will develop for others to enjoy moving forward. It's, it's, uh, this is not, this is not going to be a flash in the pan. It's not something that was just randomly thought about. We're like, Hey, you know what? Let's just, let's throw a bunch of money at a, at a failing uh, objective. This was, it was well thought out, but it, it truly is um, a group of people, including myself who, who's new to this, but are really passionate about making something exciting and new and extraordinary happen. So we're, we're fired up, man. We're, we're in this for the long haul. It's good to hear the long-term commitments there. And it sounds like the growth can be sustainable. So the private investors tipping their own money in, obviously starting small and being like, I guess, a little discreet and and, and realistic. Um, But as that grows, opportunities for partners and sponsors grow and the league can get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, Yep. That's where, like I said, like I'm sweating right now. I'm I'm, I'm sitting at my desk all (laughs) fired up. I get I'm going to have to run around the house eight or nine times when we're done with this call just because I'm fired up now. I love it, man. I love it. Um, well, let's let's keep on that sort of financial vein. And we want to know, we've heard sort of rumors as to what all the clubs are getting grants, right? So we've heard rumors as to what those club grants are. Are you able to tell us, you know, how much the clubs are getting and, and you know, how they how they meet the criteria to receive club grants? Sure. I think I would be a little remiss if I was actually um, releasing information that those individual teams uh, is really proprietary information for those teams. For me to say how much they're being granted, I, I think would be a little irresponsible on my part yep. because those teams, you know, that's that's their business. You know, um, I will say that each team has a minimum number of standards that they have to meet and they have to hit these minimums each, each year in order to receive this money. Uh, for example, their youth development program, they have to have in place within a, within a a three to five year window. Um, but right off the bat, they have social media milestones they have to hit. Um, there's fan engagement they have to hit. Uh, there's, there's, uh, recruiting and hiring deadlines. Um, there's ticket sales in the future, you know, so all these teams have a, a whole bucket list of items that really is, is being held over their head that they have to meet in which, which, which brings them up to our level of what we believe our level of professionalism is in order to be part of the league. And, and if they meet those milestones and they meet those standards, they are they are given money towards their organization. You know, in return, they receive funding from the NARL. Each team can supplement the league funding. You know, what's given to them by the league, they can put in their own money with as much of their own money as they see fit. But uh, to, to keep it kind of even and to keep it all on the same playing level, uh, all the teams have a salary cap that they have to they have to meet also. Okay. So, you know, it, it's it's it's. The salary cap was put in place. We believed it necessary to to be uh, in place to promote parity within the league, particularly in your in your starting season. Yep. Um, we want to help all the teams advance in their first few years. So we think that the salary cap won't go away, certainly in the first couple of years, but will advance proportionally with the league as it grows. So, you know, the clubs are given money. The clubs can put in their own money. Um, they do have a salary cap, which we think is going to lead to, again, like I said, a little, bit, a little bit of parity across the board. Are you able to share the salary cap figure with us? <sighs> oh, yeah. I, th- I think I don't think that's that's unreasonable. The salary cap figure is $200,000 for the season. Beautiful. Yeah. Good to hear. Uh, keep in mind yep. that 
that that two hundred thousand dollars for this year is for an abbreviated season. So of that course. number could could increase fairly dramatically next year when we play uh, cross conference. You yeah. know, and this year it's only intra conference. But when we when we add, you know eight more games next year that that could change yeah no it's good to know and i think it's important for listeners and fans to sort of understand the level that this competition is at where it's starting from and where it intends to grow to so i think it's important that they know that information and some some weird figures have been thrown out there um, and we've seen some good signings um, so people start to sort of make up their own story so it's good to get the official figure um, from from you mate it's it's thank you for your honesty there um, let's talk communication. Um, and I'll bring, I'll bring Monty Gattis back to the conversation because part of the chat we had with him a few weeks ago, he, we were talking about how, you know, you guys are getting some decent traction in the media over here in Australia, over in the UK as well. Um, but Monty was saying it's hard for him to sort of get news out there in, in his, in Cleveland itself. So I guess I want to know what is your plan? What is your strategy for, um, for media engagement? In, in the US and in Canada? Sure. Okay. So up until this point, you know, we've had um, a lot of irons in the fire. We've been working on a lot of things to really kind of get, get the, the league in place and get ready for game play. Um, our plan for American media is we, you know, we have a fixed media and, and public relations plan that the, the, the board is really ready to start rolling out within uh, the next few weeks as we lead up to kickoff. So they have a, a number of, of media platforms and, and uh, organizations that they've been in contact with. Um, so the, the promotion process and the, and the, the information transfer process is all fairly imminent and it, it's all like ready to be ready to go within the next couple of weeks. But yeah, we've, we've got a, a media firm and a PR firm that's, that's going to help us get all that out there and, and get our name out there and hopefully, you know, be sitting in front of a couple of cameras and some microphones and letting the world know what we're trying to do. Wonderful, mate. That's ex- that's exciting. And, and what about broadcasting? So obviously we know that sports flicker on board and we're good friends with the people there. So we're, we're excited to be watching along uh, on sports flick, but are you looking at exposure from other networks in, in, in North America as well, like your ESPNs or your Fox sports, or is there any, any plans for that in future? Sure, sure. Um, you know, Sports Flick, as you said, is our streaming service. We could be happier about yep. our relationship with them. They are they are excellent. I, I, and you said if you know you've got experience with them, so you understand what I'm saying. They're really a, a class organization who's really going out of their way to help us, and 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 we're really excited about that. You know, very shortly, we'll I think we'll be announcing two other broadcast platforms. Uh, but the good thing is, is rugby league fans will be able to see their games every Saturday. Here's, here's the cool thing. As it stands right now, our Eastern Conference will begin games uh, at 2 o'clock, 4.30 and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the Western Conference will be playing games in the evening at 7 p.m., 9.15 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. So we're literally going to have a rugby game available at some time during the day for every place on the planet. Every, everybody on the planet yeah. is going to be able to catch a game at some point during the course of a Saturday. So, you know, in, in, in the U.S., uh, you know, Sundays are commonly known as, as your football days. Well, you know what? In the U.S. now, Saturdays are your rugby days. I love that. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about it. We cover the, the whole spectrum and, and uh, our east, between the Eastern and Western Conference games. Uh, somebody's going to be able to see a game on, on Sports Flick pretty much at any time of the day anywhere on the planet. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. I love that. Um, I'm going to have to do the figures with my, uh, our, our, our time zone differences later. But uh, sounds like I'm going to be drinking yeah. a lot of Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, what about relationship? We've spoken a lot about relationships. Uh, what about relationships with the NRL, Super League? Uh, any, any plans to build sister club relationships or anything like that with, say, an NRL franchise? Absolutely. You know what? We would love to build those kind of connections between North American and Australian fan bases. Um, you know, I guess the difficult part would be trying to find the, the mascots that seem to be compatible. You know, uh, we would definitely love to make those kind of connections. Uh, even more so, we'd love to see those teams eventually be in a position to to share or support each other, be it through players or, or coaching staff or just general philosophy to the sport. Um, we're the new kid on the block. We, Candidly, we have to prove ourselves, don't we? Um, we, we've got a, if it, you know, it, we, it's not the size of the, you know, the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. We, we've got to step in and prove that we're, 
were worth uh, having those those connections and and those relationships. But man, I would love to build those kind of those kind of sister city relations with with NRL franchises. I think I think that would be spectacular. Um, we just very honestly, Mike, we just we just want to be given a, a fair shot to succeed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if we can do that with 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 those sister those sister cities and 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 they they you know they can jump on board and and support us well, there's nothing we can't accomplish that would that would be incredible i love that yeah. sometimes we we are, we get excited we ask questions that are probably well beyond where we where we're at at the moment but it's good for us to pull it back a bit and understand you know maybe that's in the future stuff like that so whoever whoever asked the question i i wish i could hug them right now because that that's exactly <laughs> That's exactly where we want to be. Yes. Would we, would we love to build relationships with the NR? Absolutely. Man, that, how, how great would that be? Well, let, let's stick to the future theme um, and we'll talk a little bit about future expansion. So next year, we've already touched on the way the system will work. So you've got your, your West Coast and your East Coast conferences in the US with six clubs each. Then you've got your, your Canada uh, Cup with Ottawa and Toronto at the moment. Again, because of COVID, no travel restrictions on traveling across borders. So it's, it is what it is. But from 2022, we understand that the Canadian clubs will join the East Coast Conference. So that gives us eight clubs on the East and six on the West. So immediately in my mind, I think we need to balance that out. So is there a plan for, you know, do you see the first sort of expansion point being two new clubs on the West Coast in 2022? Well, first of all, Michael, I, I, I see you trying to, to, to shoulder in on my job. But if you're trying to push me out, just be honest and say that, that you've got a better vision than I do. Yes. Mate, I'm five foot seven and I don't do as much weights as you do. So I cannot no, push no, you out. Brother, trust me. Brother, <laughs> no, 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 buddy. Absolutely. You know, candidly, we prefer to find a sense of balance in, in my mind. I, I love where your head's at because that's exactly where I am. There's, there's gotta be some, some balance to it. Right. But I would prefer to find a sense of balance by adding potentially two more Canadian teams, yep. uh, one in the, in central Canada, one in Western Canada, yep. add them to the Western conference. And then at least two more U.S. based teams, one in the Eastern and one in the Western conferences, respectively, you know, next year. Would, would I love to see four more teams in the league next year? Absolutely. Two, two in Canada, two more in the U.S. Now, we, now we're, 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 we're spread. We're, we're good. Everything is balanced. That, that's kind of, I, where you are and where I am are exactly the same place. I, I see a need for that balance also. I love it, man. And um, kill two birds with one stone. I've got uh, some good friends at the Vancouver Dragons. So if you want a West, Western Canadian team dragons. and we need to get yes. those dragons in there, you just tell me, I'll put you in touch, mate. We'll get the right people involved. You could put me in touch tomorrow. That would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Love it. You're probably already speaking to them. But anyway, um, what about, um, so we've got US and Canada covered, but we've had a lot of questions about, you know, obviously Jamaica is a hotbed for rugby league at the moment and there's a lot going on in Central and South America. Is that is it too far in advance to be asking about expansion in areas like that? Not, not at all, man. It's, it's funny that your fans ask this and, and that, or that you're asking it. It was just discussed amongst the team owners group and the NARL board this past week. Um, we're, we're absolutely going to be researching that option as we move forward. If, if I'm being honest, I want to move our corporate headquarters there because how much better would it be than working in Jamaica, you know, <laughs> but, but, but I don't think, I don't think they're going to buy it. Um, we're, we're also going to be announcing that, that yes. So yes, the Jamaican rugby league, we, we want to be uh, involved with them. We want to be associated with them. We want to be working with them. Uh, we're also going to be announcing that any Jamaican rugby players will be exempt from our number of international players that a team's allowed to employ. I love that. So um, that, that, and I think it's a big deal, uh, not only for the Jamaican rugby league, but, but, but more so for us, if, if we have the opportunity to bring in some of these players and they don't count against our international player, uh, number, it really is going to expand the game and really is going to add a, a cool diversity and, and maybe a whole new nuance to the way that we're playing here, you know? So we're excited to invite those Jamaican players to try out for our teams. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And it leads me to a question that we haven't asked, but uh, I might ask it now is what is that international player quota? Uh, as it stands right now, each of the teams are allowed five international players. Yeah, great. So, uh, uh, um, yeah. It gives you a good. No, no. It gives you. It certainly gives you a good mix because you can have five in there in key positions, teaching the the guys you know who may not be, you know, haven't been born into rugby league. Teach them the skills and the rules, and and but well, certainly enough. I think that yeah. 
I think that brings us back to our discussion of grassroots and organic development, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, we 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 would like to see each of the teams grow organically by divest, develop, developing domestic talent. You know, have them mentored and educated by a few key import players. But you know, again, you know, the objective is to grow the sport here in North America but also to grow with domestic players. It, it would be great to grow the sport in North America and have all international players, but then we're missing out. We, we eventually want to capitalize on that local talent that's going to move the league forward for us, you know? Yep. Um, so you know, we'll, be, we'll be encouraging those international players to come in as the, the mentors and the guidance and the tutors, but we're, we're also encouraging the use of domestic players because we really want to see this sport expand here in the U.S., yep. you know? Yeah, 100%. You need those American accents and players, and it's really important, you know? Um, mate, I can't believe we've been speaking for almost an hour. I think we're best friends now. Um, I love it. I, lo- I like what you're all about. <laughs> I'll be flying down next week just to see you. We'll see you there. Beers and whiskey on me. Um, mate, let's get some final thoughts then. So obviously it's early days and you're just trying to, you're about to get this first season underway, but I want to know, I guess, what the short term and medium term plan is for you guys. So what, what does the NARL look like in say five to 10 years time in your opinion? All right. Okay. Five to 10 years. Um, yeah. I, how about this? How about if I expand on two to three first and, and then I yeah. move on to five awesome. to 10? How's yeah, that great. work? Sounds great. All right. So let's, let's do it this way in two to three years. Um, if I had my wish list granted and everything goes as well as I hope it will. And, and Santa uh, is comes every year and he helps <laughs> me out by giving me the things I'm asking for. I would love to see this league grow by, by 40, 50, maybe 60% over the next three to five years. You know, if, 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 if we're adding four, six, eight teams over the next three to five years, you know, in succession with that, it, it's, it's, I'd love to implement the, a professional women's rugby league with six to 10 cities, you know? So in that two to three year, if, if I could, if I could see the, our league expanding 40, 50, 60%, adding a women's professional rugby league, six to 10 cities, um, uh, an extensive youth program, which is con- contributing to the quality of college rugby in the U.S. and is developing a new generation of rugby league players. Um, t- you know, if p- kids that say they want to go play for the Atlanta Rhinos or the, or the Phoenix Venom, mm. man, if, if that two to three year window, if, if we could accomplish all that in that two to three window, two to three year window, it, it, I, I wouldn't even, I, I couldn't complain about a single thing. It would be stellar. It would be magnificent. Um, in five to ten years, you know, I'd like to see the NARL as a as a fixture in mainstream U.S. professional sports. You know, it's it's. It, I'd like to see kids wearing their favorite rugby league players' jersey to school. My daughter wearing a rugby league jersey to school, and wow. you know, not that I have a problem a problem with her wearing NFL jerseys, but you know. You know, I'd like to see a, a, a full contingent of men's and women's teams in the U.S. and Canada, and those teams being a foundation for players in the international competitions. Um, yeah, I'm fired up. I got to run around the house you, you, again, Michael. You got me all. I'm sweating. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm sweating, mate. You, you killed me. I, I love it. I so, love the ambition. I love the big picture attitude, and it's so American, right? Like you guys don't muck around. When you do something, you want to no. be the biggest and the best. <laughs> Yeah, but it's sometimes to our detriment. But man, if we could do a two to three year window with those things and then a five to 10 year window with the other things, it, it, we couldn't ask for better than that. We couldn't ask for more success than that. We couldn't ask to be more blessed than, than to have that happen. So that's where I'd like to see us in the, in the five to 10 year window. You know, will it happen? I hope so. But that, that's, what, that's what I'm hoping for, buddy. Well, Rob, mate, thanks for your honesty. What a great conversation. If anyone didn't know who Rob Curtis was an hour ago, they certainly do now. Uh, mate, tell us um, how can our listeners follow along and support what you guys are doing and, and get around it? Oh, guys, so listen, um, first, please let me just thank you for having me on the show tonight. It, it has absolutely been my pleasure. I, I can't, I was, so, I was so excited about this. I, I was... Did my, I, I probably talked my wife's ear off today. She's like, shut up, you know, you're going to be up to something great. So, yeah. 
you know, but it, it's, it's been my pleasure for, for the fans. Um, and for those of you that are skeptical of what we're trying to accomplish, yep. I ask you one thing, give, give us an opportunity before you dismiss us. Just, just watch a little bit, just check it out. If you're not happy, I, I get it at that point, but before you dismiss us or write us off, just give us an opportunity to shine. Um, for those of you that have been supporting us and, and, and are actually backing what we're trying to accomplish. Thank you. Um, you know, as we get into match play, we'd hope you guys would go to Sports Flick and stream the games and watch what we're trying to do and and watch something new and unique and, and what we believe to be different. Um, you know, they can follow us on on all social media platforms at at, at NA Rugby League. Um, so, you know, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook is at NA Rugby League. Um, or they can go to our website at, at, at com. But I, I again... Thanks for having me, but to the fans, guys, um, again, as, as you, you've never heard of me, but I'd like to believe within the next year or two that, that you'll, you'll know the name and you'll know that, that what I've said here today is, is solid and factual and honest and straightforward. And, and you'll be as excited about what we're trying to do as I am. So I, I really can't thank you guys enough for having me today. I love it, man. It's been a pleasure having you and, um, we'll have to talk soon, man. We'll have a chat offline later on about, uh, Maybe stocking some uh, NARL merchandise on ChasingRoos.com, maybe somewhere down the track. So that'll be really cool. Um, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Listen, promise me that promise me that we can keep in touch because I really enjoyed this conversation. I and I really enjoyed being part of your show tonight. Hundred percent, man. We'll have plenty of conversations. We're best friends now, like I said, mate. And uh, Rob Curtis, man, <laughs> thank you for chasing kangaroos with us tonight. I know it won't be the last time, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing this competition kick off and uh, seeing where it goes. Thank you, buddy. God bless everybody. Thank you so much for for just entertaining me for the hour. I, I can't thank you enough. Chasing Kangaroos is brought to you by Matt Haynes Sport. We are mixed and produced by Paul Murchison. Our theme music was written and recorded by Ash Barco and Ricky Cancino. The podcast is hosted by me, Michael Carboni, and The Biggest Tiger. Views are our own. <laughs>